0: Chapter six of the first violin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The first violin by Jessie Fothergill. Chapter six. Ein aus der Friinde gar We had left Brussels and Belgium behind, had departed from the regions of chemin de fer, and entered those of Eisenbahnen. We were at Cologne, where we had to change and wait half an hour before we could go on to Elbethel. We sat in the Warte and I had committed to my charge two bundles, with strict injunctions not to lose them. Then the doors were opened, and the people made a mad rush into a train standing somewhere in the dim distance. Merrick, Miss Hallam's maid, had to give her whole attention to her mistress. I followed close in their wake, until, as we had almost come to the train, I cast my eyes downward, and perceived that there was missing from my arm a grey shawl of Miss Hallam's which had been committed to my charge, and upon which she set a fidgety kind of value as being particularly warm or particularly soft. Dismayed, I neither hesitated nor thought, but turned, fought my way through the throng of people to the waiting-room again, hunted every corner but in vain for the shawl. Either it was completely lost, or Merrick had, without my observing it, taken it under her own protection. It was not in the waiting-room. Giving up the search, I hurried to the door. It was fast. No one more, it seemed, was to be let out that way. I must go round through the passages into the open hall of the station, and so on to the platform again. It was easier said than done. Always from my earliest youth up, I have had a peculiar fancy for losing myself. On this eventful day I lost myself. I ran through the passages, came into the great open place surrounded on every side by doors leading to the platforms, offices or booking offices, glancing hastily round. I selected the door which appeared to my imperfectly developed locality to promise egress upon the platform. Pushed it open and going along a covered passage and through another door found myself, after the loss of a good five minutes, In a lofty deserted wing of the station gazing wildly at an empty platform and feverishly scanning all the long row of doors to my right in a mad effort to guess which would take me from this delightful terra incognito back to my friends quebec expedition i read and thought it did not sound promising telegraphs bureau impossible Ausgang. there was the magic word and i not knowing it stared at it and was none the wiser for its friendly sign i heard a hollow whistle in the distance no doubt it was the elberthal train going away and my heart sunk deep deep within my breast i knew no german word all i could say was elberthal and my nearest approach to first class was to point to the carriage doors and say which might or might not be understood, probably not, when the universal stupidity of the German railway official is taken into consideration, together with his chronic state of gracious suspicion that a bad motive lurks under every question which is put to him. I heard a subdued bustle coming from the right hand in the distance, and I ran hastily to the other end of the great empty place, seeing, as I thought, an opening. Vain illusion deceptive dream of the fancy there was a glass window through which i looked and saw a street thronged with passengers and vehicles i hurried back again to find my way to the entrance of the station and there try another door when i heard a bell ring violently a loud groaning and shrieking and then the sound as it were of a train departing a porter at least a person in uniform appeared in a doorway how I rushed up to him! How I seized his arm and dropping my rugs, gesticulating excitedly, and panted forth the words, elberthal Elbertol, said he in a guttural bass, "Wollt er nach Albertol, Fräulein?" There was an impudent twinkle in his eye, as it were, impudence trying to get the better of beer, and I reiterated elberthal growing very red and cursing all foreign speeches by my gods. A process often employed, I believe, by cleverer persons than I, with reference to things they do not understand. "'Sernfurt, Frulein,' he continued with a grin. "'But where—what—elbertal!' He was about to make some further reply, when, turning, he seemed to see someone, and assumed a more respectful demeanour. I, too, turned, and saw at some little distance from us a gentleman sauntering along, who, though coming toward us, did not seem to observe us would he understand me if i spoke to him desperate as i was i felt some timidity about trying it never had i felt so miserable so helpless so utterly ashamed as i did then my lips trembled as the newcomer drew nearer and the porter taking the opportunity of quitting a scene which began to bore him slipped away I was left alone on the platform, nervously snatching glances at the person slowly, very slowly, approaching me. He did not look up as if he beheld me, or in any way remarked my presence. His eyes were bent toward the ground. His fingers drummed a tune upon his chest. As he approached, I heard that he was humming something. I even heard the air. It has been impressed upon my memory firmly enough since— Though I did not know it then the air of the March from Raff's fifth symphony the Lenore. I heard the tune softly hummed in a mellow voice as with face burning and glowing I placed myself before him then he looked suddenly up as if startled fixed upon me a pair of eyes Which gave me a kind of shock so keen so commanding were they with a kind of tameless freedom in their glance, such as I had never seen before. Arrested, no doubt, by my wild and excited appearance, he stood still and looked at me, and as he looked, a slight smile began to dawn upon his lips. Not an Englishman. I should have known him for an outlander anywhere. I remarked no details of his appearance, only that he was tall and had, as it seemed to me, a commanding bearing i stood hesitating and blushing to this very day the blood comes to my face as i think of my agony of blushes in that immemorial moment i saw a handsome a very handsome face quite different from any i had ever seen before the startling eyes before spoken of and which surveyed me with a look so keen so cool and so bright which seemed to penetrate through and through me while a slight smile curled the light moustache upward a general aspect which gave me the impression that he was not only a personage but a very great personage with a flavour of something else permeating it all which puzzled me and made me feel embarrassed as how to address him while i stood inanely trying to gather my senses together he took off the little cloth cap he wore and bowing asked In what can I assist you?' His English was excellent. His bow like nothing I had seen before. Convinced that I had met a genuine, thorough, fine gentleman, in which I was right for once in my life, I began. "'I have lost my way,' and my voice trembled in spite of all my efforts to stay it. "'In a crowd I lost my friends, and— I was going to Elberthal, and I turned the wrong way, and—' "'Have you come to destruction, nicht wahr?' He looked at his watch, raised his eyebrows, and shrugged his shoulders. "'The Hall train is already away.' "'Gone!' I dropped my rugs and began a tremulous search for my pocket-handkerchief. "'What shall I do?' "'There is another, let me see, in one hour, two. "'Well, mon and will you come with me, Fräulein, and we can see about the trains?' If you could show me the platform said i perhaps some of them may still be there oh what will they think of me we must go to the Wartesaal," said he then you can look out and see if you can see any of them i had no choice but to comply my benefactor picked up my two bundles and in spite of my expostulations carried them with him he took me through the door inscribed ausgang And the whole thing seemed so extremely simple now that my astonishment as to how I could have lost myself increased every minute. He went before me to the waiting-room, put my bundles down upon one of the sofas, and we went to the door. The platform was almost as empty as the one we had left. I looked round, and though it was only what I had expected, yet my face fell when I saw how utterly and entirely my party had disappeared you see them not he inquired No, oh god said i turning away from the window and choking down a sob not very effectually turning my damp and sorrowful eyes to my companion i found that he was still smiling to himself as if quietly amused at the whole adventure I will go and see at what time the trains go to elberthal suppose you sit down yes passively obeying i sat down and turned my situation over in my mind in which kind of agreeable mental legerdemain i was still occupied when he returned it is now half-past three and there is a train to elberthal at seven. seven. seven, a very pleasant time to travel nicht wahr? Then it is still quite light, so long. Three and a half hours, I murmured dejectedly, and bit my lips and hung my head. Then I said, "I am sure I am much obliged to you, if I might ask you a favour, bitter mein Fräulein. If you could show me exactly where the train starts from, and could I get a ticket now? Do you think?" I'm afraid not so long before he answered twisting his mustache as I could not help seeing to hide a smile then said I with stoic calmness I shall never get to Elberthal never for I don't know a word of German not one i sat more firmly down upon the sofa and tried to contemplate the future with fortitude i can tell you what to say said he removing with great deliberation the bundles which divided us, and sitting down beside me. He leaned his chin upon his hand, and looked at me, ever as it seemed to me, with amusement tempered with kindness. And I felt like a very little girl indeed. You are exceedingly good, I replied, but it would be of no use. I am so frightened of those men in blue coats and big moustaches. "'I should not be able to say a word to any of them. "'German is something not unlike English. "'It is like nothing to me except a great mystery. "'Billet is ticket,' said he persuasively. "'Oh, is it?' said I, with a gleam of hope. "'Perhaps I could remember that. Billet!' I repeated reflectively. "'Billet,' he amended. "'Not billet.' "'Billet!' I repeated and to Elberthal it may be said in one word. Elberthal. Ein billet, Elberthal, erste class. Ein billet, I repeated automatically, for my thoughts were dwelling more upon the charming quandary in which I found myself than upon his half-good-natured, half-mocking instructions. Ein billet, Firster erste, it is of no use. I can't say it here a brilliant idea struck me if you could write it out for me on a paper and then i could give it to the man he would surely know what it meant a very interesting idea but a viva interview is so much better i wonder how long it takes to walk to Hall. i suggested darkly oh a mere trifle of a walk "'You might do it in four or five hours, I dare say.' "'I bit my lips, trying not to cry. "'Perhaps we might make some other arrangement,' he remarked. "'I am going to Elberthal, too.' "'You—' "'Thank heavens!' was my first remark. "'Then, as a doubt came over me, "'then why—why?' "'Here,' I stuck fast, Unable to ask why he had said so many torturing things to me, pretended to teach me German phrases, and so on. The words would not come out. Meanwhile, he, without apparently feeling it necessary to explain himself on these points, went on. Yes, I have been at a prober. Not having the faintest idea as to what a prober might be, and not liking to ask, I held my peace and bowed assentingly. He went on i had intended to go by the train you have lost so if you are not afraid to trust yourself to my care we can travel together you-you are very kind then you are not afraid i-oh no i should like it very much i mean i'm sure it would be very nice feeling that my social powers were as yet in a very undeveloped condition I subsided into silence as he went on. "'I hope your friends will not be very uneasy.' "'Oh, dear, no!' I assured him, with a pious conviction that I was speaking the truth. "'We shall arrive at Elberthal at half-past eight. I scarcely heard. I had plunged my hand into my pocket, and found—a hideous conviction crossed my mind. I had no money i had until this moment totally forgotten having given my purse to merrick to keep and she as pioneer of the party naturally had all our tickets under her charge my heart almost stopped beating it was unheard of horrible this possibility of falling into the power of a total utter stranger a foreigner i heaven only knew what engrossed with this painful and distressing problem I sat silent, and with eyes gloomily cast down. "'One thing is certain,' he remarked. "'We do not want to spend three hours and a half in the station. "'I want some dinner. "'A 4 hours probe is apt to make one a little hungry. "'Come, we will go and have something to eat.' The idea had evidently come to him as a species of inspiration, and he openly rejoiced in it. "'I am not hungry.' said i but i was very i knew it now that the idea dinner had made itself conspicuous in my consciousness perhaps you think not but you are all the same he said come with me frulein you have put yourself into my hands and must do what i tell you i followed him mechanically out of the station and down the street and i tried to realize that instead of being with miss hallam and merrick my natural and respectable protectors, safely and conventionally plodding the slow way in the slow continental train to the slow continental town, I was parading about the streets of Cologne with a man of whose very existence I had half an hour ago been ignorant. I was dependent, too, upon him, and him alone, for my safe arrival at Elberthal. And I followed him unquestioningly, now and then telling myself, by way of feeble consolation, that he was a gentleman. He certainly was a gentleman. And wishing now and then, or trying to wish, with my usual proper feeling, that it had been some nice old lady with whom I had fallen in, it would have made the whole adventure blameless and, comparatively speaking, agreeable. We went along a street and came to a hotel— A large building, into which my conductor walked, spoke to a waiter, and we were shown into the restaurant full of round tables, and containing some half-dozen parties of people. I followed with stony resignation. It was the severest trial of all, this coming to a hotel alone with a gentleman in broad daylight. I caught sight of a reflection in a mirror of a tall, pale girl, with heavy, tumbled, auburn hair a brown hat which suited her, and a severely simple travelling dress. I did not realise until I had gone past that it was my own reflection which I had seen. "'Suppose we sit here,' said he, going to a table in a comparatively secluded window recess, partially overhung with curtains. How very kind and considerate of him,' thought I. "'Would you rather have wine or coffee, Fräulein?' Pulled up from the impulse to satisfy my really keen hunger by the recollection of my lack of gold, I answered hastily, Nothing, thank you, really nothing. Oh, doch! You must have something, said he, smiling. I will order something. Don't trouble about it. Don't order anything for me, said I, my cheeks burning. I shall not eat anything. If you don't eat, you will be ill. Remember, we do not get to Elberthal before eight, said he. Is it perhaps disagreeable to you to eat in the Saal? If you like, we can have a private room. It is not that at all, I replied, and seeing that he looked surprised, I blurted out the truth. I have no money. I gave my purse to Miss Hallam's maid to keep, and she has taken it with her, With a laugh? in which, infectious though it was, I was too wretched to join. Is that the all killer? cried he. An obsequious waiter came up, smiling sweetly and meaningly at us, received some orders from my companion, and disappeared. He seated himself beside me at the little round table. He will bring something at once, he said, smiling. I sat still I was not happy yet i could not feel all the unhappiness which i considered appropriate to the circumstances my companion took up a kölnische Zeitung and glanced over the advertisements while i looked a little stealthily at him and for the first time took in more exactly what he was like and grew more puzzled with him each moment as he leaned upon the table one slight long brown hand propping his head and half lost in the thick fine brown hair which waved in large ample waves over his head There was an indescribable grace ease and negligent beauty in the attitude Move as he would let him assume any possible or impossible attitude There was still in the same grace half careless yet very dignified in the position. He took all his lines were lines of beauty, but beauty which had power and much masculine strength. Nowhere did it degenerate into flaccidity, nowhere lose strength in grace. His hair was long, and I wondered at it. My small experience in our delightful home and village circle had not acquainted me with that flowing style. The young men of my acquaintance cropped their hair close to the scalp, and called it the modern style of hairdressing. It had always looked to me more like hair undressing this hair fell in a heavy wave over his head and He had the habit, common to people whose hair does so of Lifting his head suddenly and shaking back the offending lock His forehead was broad open pleasant yet grave eyes as I had seen very dark and with lashes and brows which enhanced the contrast to a complexion at once fair and pale a light moustache curving almost straight across the face gave a smiling expression to lips which were otherwise grave calm almost sad in fact looking nearer i thought he did look sad and though when he looked at me his eyes were so piercing yet in repose he had a certain distant abstracted expression not far removed from absolute mournfulness broad-shouldered long-armed with a physique in every respect splendid he was yet very distinctly removed from the mere handsome animal which i believe enjoys a very distinguished popularity in the latter-day romance now as his eyes were cast upon the paper i perceived lines upon his forehead signs about the mouth and eyes telling of a firm not to say imperious disposition a certain curve of the lips and of the full yet delicate nostril told of pride both strong and high he was older than i had thought his face sparer. there were certain hollows in the cheeks two lines between the eyebrows a sharpness or rather somewhat worn appearance of the features which told of a mental life, keen and consuming. Altogether an older, more intellectual, more imposing face than I had at first thought, less that of a young and handsome man, more that of a thinker and student. Lastly, a cool ease, deliberation, and leisureliness about all he said and did hinted at his being a person in authority, accustomed to give orders and see them obeyed without question. I decided that he was, in our graceful home phrase,—master in his own house. His clothing was unremarkable—grey summer clothes, such as any gentleman or any shopkeeper might wear. Only in scanning him no thought of shopkeeper came into my mind. His cap lay beside us on the table, one of the little gray studentenmutzen, with which Elberthal soon made me familiar, but which struck me then as odd and outlandish. I grew every moment more interested in my scrutiny of this, to me, fascinating and remarkable face, and had forgotten to try to look as if I were not looking, when he looked up suddenly without warning with those bright, formidable eyes, which had already made me feel somewhat shy as I caught them fixed upon me. "'None, have you decided?' He asked with a humorous look in his eyes, which he was too polite to allow to develop itself into a smile. "'I—oh, I beg your pardon.' "'You do not want to?' he asked, in perfect idiom. "'But I have decided.' "'Decided what? Whether I am to be trusted?' "'I have not been thinking about that,' I said unashamedly, when, to my relief, the appearance of the waiter with preparations for the meal saved me further reply. "'What shall we call this meal?' "'he asked, as the waiter disappeared to bring the repast to the table. "'It is too late for the Mittagessen, and too early for the Abendbrot. "'Can you suggest a name?' "'At home it would be just the time for afternoon tea.' "'Ach, yes, your English afternoon tea is very—' "'He stopped suddenly. "'Have you been in England?' "'This is uh, just the time at which we drink our afternoon coffee in Germany.' said he looking at me with his impenetrably bright eyes just as if he had never heard me when the ladies all meet together to talk scan overheater what am i saying to consult seriously on important topics you know there are some small-minded persons who call the whole ceremony a clutch cafe clutch i'm sure you and i shall talk seriously upon important subjects so suppose we call this our cafe clutch, although we have no coffee to it. Oh yes, if you like. He put a piece of cutlet upon my plate and poured yellow wine into my glass. Endeavouring to conduct myself with the dignity of a grown up person, and to show that I did know something, I inquired if the wine were hock. He smiled. It is not Hochheimer. It is not Reinerwein at all. He—no, it, you say. It is Marcellawein. Doctor—doctor—doctor Berger. I do not know why, so called. And a very good fellow, too. So say all his friends, of whom I am a warm one. Try him. I complied with the admonition, and was able to say that I liked Dr. Berger. We ate and drank in silence for some little time, and I found that I was very hungry. I also found that I could not conjure up any feeling of discomfort or uneasiness, and that the prospective scolding from Miss Hallam had no terrors in it for me. Never had I felt so serene in mind, never more at ease in every way than now. I felt that this was wrong, bohemian, irregular, and not respectable, and tried to get up a little unhappiness about something. The only thing that I could think of was, I'm afraid I'm taking up your time. Perhaps you had some business which you were going to do when you met me. My business, when I met you, was to catch the train to Elberthal, which was already gone, as you know i shall not be able to fulfil my engagements for tonight, so it really doesn't matter i am enjoying myself very much i'm very glad i did meet you said i growing more reassured as i found that my companion though exceedingly polite and attentive to me did not ask a question as to my business my travelling companions my intended stay or object in elberthal that he behaved like a perfect gentleman one who is a gentleman throughout in thought as well as in deed he did not even ask me how it was that my friends had not waited a little for me though he must have wondered why two people left a young girl moneyless and ignorant to find her way after them as well as she could He took me as he found me, and treated me as if I had been the most distinguished and important of persons. But at my last remark, he said, with the same odd smile which took me by surprise, every time I saw it, The pleasure is certainly not all on your side, Fräulein. I suppose from that you have decided I am to be trusted. I stammered out something to the effect that I should be very ungrateful were I not satisfied with with such a-I stopped, looking at him in some confusion. I saw a sudden look flash into his eyes and over his face. It was gone in a moment, so fleeting that I had scarce time to mark it, but it opened up a crowd of strange new impressions to me, and while I could no more have said what it was like the moment it was gone, yet it left two desires almost equally strong in me. I wished in one and the same moment that I had, for my own peace of mind, never seen him, and that I might never lose sight of him again. To fly from that look, to remain and encounter it. The tell-tale mirror in the corner caught my eye. At home they used sometimes to call me—partly in mockery, partly in earnest—Bonnie May." The sobriquet had hitherto been a mere shadow, a meaningless thing to me. I liked to hear it, but had never paused to consider whether it were appropriate or not. In my brief intercourse with my venerable suitor Sir Peter, I had come a little nearer to being actively aware that I was good-looking, only to anathematize the fact. Now, catching sight of my reflection in the mirror, I wondered eagerly, whether I really were fair, and wished I had some higher authority to think so than the casual jokes of my sisters. It did not add to my presence of mind to find that my involuntary glance to the mirror had been intercepted, perhaps even my motive guessed at. He appeared to have a frightfully keen instinct. "'Have you seen the Dom?' was all he said, but it seemed somehow to give a point to what had passed the dom what is the dom the colonel dom the cathedral oh no oh should we have time to see it i exclaimed how i should like it certainly it is close at hand suppose we go now gladly i rose as he did one of my most ardent desires was about to be fulfilled Not so properly and respectfully as might have been desired, but yes, certainly more pleasantly than under the escort of Miss Hallam grumbling at every groschen she had to unearth in payment. Before we could leave our seclusion, there came up to us a young man, who had looked at us through the door and paused. I had seen him, had seen how he said something to a companion, and how the companion shook his head distinctly the first speaker came up to us eyed me with a look of curiosity and turning to my protector with a benevolent smile said eugen courvoisier all hatten nicht doch recht i caught the name the rest was of course lost upon me eugen courvoisier i liked it as i liked him and in my young enthusiasm decided that it was a very good name the newcomer, who seemed as if much pleased with some discovery and entertained at the same time, addressed some questions to Courvoisier, who answered him tranquilly, but in a tone of voice which was very freezing. And then the other, with a few words and an unbelieving kind of laugh, said something about a Schongeschichte, and with another look at me, went out of the coffee room again. We went out of the hotel up the street to the cathedral. It was the first cathedral I had ever been in. The shock and the wonder of its grandeur took my breath away. When I had found courage to look round and up at those awful vaults the roofs, I could not help crying a little. The vastness, coolness, stillness and splendour crushed me. The great solemn rays of sunlight coming in, slanting glory through the windows, the huge height, the impression it gave of greatness and of a religious devotion to which we shall never again attain of pure noble hearts and patient skilful hands toiling but in a spirit that made the toil a holy prayer carrying out the builder's thought great thoughts greatly executed all was too much for me the more so in that while i felt it all i could not analyze it it was a dim indefinite wonder I tried stealthily in my shame to conceal my tears, looking surreptitiously at him in fear lest he should be laughing at me again. But he was not. He held his cap in his hand, was looking with those strange, brilliant eyes fixedly toward the high altar, and there was some expression upon his face which I could not analyse. Not the expression of a person for whom such a scene has grown or can grow common by custom, not the expression of a sightseer who feels that he must admire, not my own first astonishment. At least he felt it, the whole grand scene, and I instinctively and instantly felt more at home with him than I had done before. Oh, said I at last. If one could stay here for ever, what would one grow to? He smiled a little. You find it beautiful? It is the first I have seen. It is much more than beautiful. The first you have seen? Ah, well, I might have guessed that. Why? Do I look so countrified? I inquired with real interest, as I let him lead me to a little side bench and place himself beside me i asked in all good faith about him there seemed such a cosmopolitan ease that i felt sure he could tell me correctly how i struck other people if he would countrified what is that oh we say it when people are like me have never seen anything but their own little village and never had any adventures and get lost at railway stations and so "'I do not know enough of the meaning of country "'to be able to say if you are so. "'But it is easy to see that you have not had much contention "'with the powers that be.' "'Oh, I shall not be stupid long,' said I comfortably. "'I am not going back home again.' "'So?' "'He did not ask me more, but I saw that he listened "'and proceeded communicatively. "'Never.' I have not quarrelled with them exactly, but had a little disagreement, because—because—because—because they wanted me to—I mean, an old gentleman—no, I mean—an old gentleman wanted you to marry him, and you would not, said he, with an odd twinkle in his eyes. Why, how can you know? I think because you told me, and I will forget it if you wish. Oh, no! It is quite true. Perhaps I ought to have married him. Ought? He looked startled. Yes, Adelaide, my eldest sister, said so, but it was no use. I was very unhappy, and Miss Hallam, who is Sir Peter's deadly enemy, he is the old gentleman, you know, was very kind to me. She invited me to come with her to Germany, and proposed to let me have singing lessons. Singing lessons? I nodded. Yes, and then, when I know a good deal more about singing, I shall go back again and give lessons. I shall support myself, and then no one will have the right to want to make me marry Sir Peter. Du lieber Himmel! he ejaculated, half to himself. Are you very musical, then? "'I can sing,' said I, "'only I want some more training.' "'And you will go back, all alone, and try to give lessons?' "'I shall not only try. I shall do it,' I corrected him. "'And do you like the prospect?' "'If I can get enough money to live upon, I shall like it very much. "'It will be better than living at home and being bothered.' "'I will tell you what you should do before you begin your career.' "'said he, looking at me with an expression half wondering, half pitying. "'What, if you could tell me anything?' "'Preserve your voice, by all means, and get as much instruction as you can. "'But change all that waving hair, "'and make it into unobjectionable smooth bands of no particular colour. "'Get a mask to wear over your face, which is too expressive.' "'Do something to your eyes to alter their—' "'The expression, then visible in said eyes, seemed to strike him. "'For he suddenly stopped, and, with a slight laugh, said, "'Ach, was rede ich für dummes Zeug? Excuse me, mein Fräulein!' "'But,' I interrupted earnestly, "'What do you mean? Do you think my appearance will be a disadvantage to me?' scarcely had i said the words than i knew how intensely stupid they were how very much they must appear as if i were openly and impudently fishing for compliments how grateful i felt when he answered with a grave directness which had nothing but the highest compliment in it that of crediting me with right motives mein Fräulein. how can i tell It is only that I knew someone rather older than you, and very beautiful, who had such a pursuit. Her name was Corona Heidelberg, and her story was a sad one. Tell it me, I besought. Well, no, I think not. But sometimes I have a little gift of foresight, and that tells me that you will not become what you at present think. You will be much happier and more fortunate. I wonder if it would be nice to be a great operatic singer, I speculated. Oh, Peter, don't think of it, he exclaimed, starting up and moving restlessly. You do not know. You, an opera singer. He was interrupted. There suddenly filled the air a sound of deep, heavenly melody which swept solemnly down the aisles and filled with its melodious thunder every corner of the great building I listened with my face upraised and lips parted it was the organ and presently after a wonderful melody which set my heart beating a melody full of the witchingly sweet high notes and a breadth and grandeur of low ones, such as only two composers have ever attained to a voice, a single woman's voice, was upraised. She was invisible, and she sung till the very sunshine seemed turned to melody, and all the world was music, the greatest, most glorious of earthly things. Glute nur Liebesherz. Ach, ein Kind, das du erzogen! Das an deine Bruch gesogen, doch den Flieger so ermorden, denn es ist so schlag geworden. What is it? I asked below my breath as it ceased. He had shaded his face with his hand, but turned to me as I spoke, a certain half-suppressed enthusiasm in his eyes. Be thankful for your first introduction to German music, said he and that it was grand old johann sebastian bach whom you heard that is one of the soprano solos in the passion's music that is music there was more music a tenor voice was singing a recitative now and that exquisite accompaniment with a sort of joyful solemnity still continued every now and then shrill high and clear penetrated a chorus of boys voices I, outer Barbarian that I was, barely knew the name of Bach and his Matau's passion. So, in the pauses, my companion told me by snatches what it was about. There was not much of it. After a few solos and recitatives, they tried one or two of the choruses. I sat in silence, feeling a new world breaking in glory around me, till that tremendous chorus came. The organ-notes swelled out, the tenor voice sung, Whom will ye that I give unto you? And the answer came crashing down in one tremendous clap, Barabbam, and such music was in the world, Had been sung for years, and I had not heard it. Verily, there may be revelations and things new under the sun every day, I had forgotten everything outside the cathedral, every person but the one at my side. It was he who roused first, looking at his watch and exclaiming, Herr Gott, we must go to the station, Fräulein, if we wish to catch that train. And yet I did not think he seemed very eager to catch it, as we went through the busy streets in the warmth of the evening, for it was hot, as it sometimes is in pleasant April before the withering east winds of the merry month have come to divest the land and sweep sickly people off the face of the earth we went slowly through the moving crowds to the station into the water where he left me while he went to take my ticket i sat in the same corner of the same sofa as before and to this day i could enumerate every object in that water it was after seven o'clock The outside sky was still bright but it was dusk in the waiting-room and under the shadow of the station when Eugen Corvoisier came in again I did not see his features so distinctly as lately in the Cathedral again he sat down beside me silently this time I glanced at his face and a strange sharp pungent thrill shot through me the companion of a few hours Was he only that are you very tired? He asked gently after a long pause. I Think the train will not be very long now Even as he spoke clang clang went the bell and For the second time that day. I went toward the train for Elberthal This time no wrong turning no mistake Courvoisier put me into an empty compartment and followed me said something to a guard who went past, of which I could only distinguish the word align, but as no one disturbed our privacy, I concluded that German railway guards, like English ones, are mortal. After debating within myself for some time, I screwed up my courage and began Mr Corvoisier, your name is Corvoisier, is it not? Yes. Will you please tell me how much money you have spent for me today? How much money? he asked, looking at me with a provoking smile. The train was rumbling slowly along, the night darkening down. We sat by an open window, and I looked through it at the grey, Dutch-like landscape. The falling dusk, the poplars that seemed sedately marching along with us. Why do you want to know how much it was? he demanded. Because— "'I shall want to pay you, of course, when I get my purse,' said I. "'And if you would kindly tell me your address, too. "'But how much money did you spend?' He looked at me, seemed about to laugh off the question, and then said, "'I believe it was about three thalers, ten gosson. "'But I am not at all sure. "'I cannot tell you till I do my accounts.' "'Oh, dear,' said I, "'suppose I let you know how much it was.' he went on, with a gravity which forced conviction upon me. "'Perhaps that would be best,' I agreed. "'But I hope you will make out your account soon.' "'Oh, very soon. And where shall I send my bill to?' Feeling as if there were something not quite as it should be in the whole proceeding, I looked very earnestly at him, but could find nothing but the most perfect gravity in his expression. I repeated my address and name slowly and distinctly, as befitted so businesslike a transaction, and he wrote them down in a little book. "'And you will not forget,' said I, "'to give me your address, when you let me know what I owe you?' "'Certainly. When I let you know what you owe me,' he replied, putting the little book into his pocket again. "'I wonder if anyone will come to meet me,' I speculated my mind more at ease in consequence of the business-like demeanour of my companion. "'Possibly,' said he, with an ambiguous half-smile, which I did not understand. "'Miss Hallam, the lady I came with, is almost blind. Her maid had to look after her, and, I suppose, that is why they did not wait for me,' said I. "'It must have been a very strong reason, at any rate,' he said gravely now the train rolled into the elberthal station there were lights movement a storm of people all gabbling away in a foreign tongue i looked out no face of any one i knew Courvoisier sprung down and helped me out now i will put you into a drosky," said he leading the way to where they stood outside the station alishrasse thirty-nine he said to the man stop one moment cried i leaning eagerly out at that moment a tall dark girl passed us going slowly toward the gates she almost paused as she saw us she was looking at my companion i did not see her face and was only conscious of her as coming between me and him and so annoying me please let me thank you i continued you have been so kind so very kind oh "'It was so kind in you to get lost exactly when and where you did,' said he, smiling. "'Adieu, mein Freulein,' he added, making a sign to the coachman, who drove off. "'I saw him no more. "'Eugen Courvoisier. I kept repeating the name to myself, as if I were in the very least danger of forgetting it. "'Eugen Courvoisier now that i had parted from him i was quite clear as to my own feelings i would have given all i was worth not much truly to see him for one moment again along a lighted street with houses on one side a gleaming shine of water on the other and trees on both down a crossway then into another street very wide and gaily lighted in the midst of which was an avenue. We stopped with a rattle before a house door, and I read, by the light of the lamp that hung over it, 39. End of chapter 6